Wow, it's good to see each of you this morning. Uh, It's been a great time together already in worship. Glad you're here today. Um, And uh, you get an extra hour this afternoon, by the way. So it seemed early this morning, but you get it on the other side. Yeah, it's awesome. I'd just like to take a couple minutes for some of you that are visiting, maybe don't know who we are perhaps here at Journey. I'm Howard, the lead pastor. Uh, And um, I just want to take some time to share a couple things with you all and uh, shared it in all the other services as well. We are blessed at this campus to have Eric and Carmen and their family as leaders here. We are blessed to have Jesse and Shiloh leading student and family ministries. We are blessed to have Sherry, who was just here in Darren, leading uh, children and family ministries. And sometimes we take that for granted. We just expect that people are going to be here. Pray for these people. Um, we are also blessed to have an incredible staff in the office of Mark and Kim and Donna and Judy. And then we have teams at both at Yoder today and at McPherson today that are giving it up for God's purpose in the context where God has planted us. And I just want you, those of you who are regular attenders, pray for the leaders. Pray for the elders, who the spiritual leaders are for this church that you have called up and that <clears throat> have the sole purpose is to seek God's leading uh, for the spiritual life and the future of Journey Together. Will you join me in prayer? God, this morning, uh, I just thank you for the folks that are, have been and are called to give leadership to Journey. And I thank you this morning for each person sitting in this room in these moments. And I would pray in the next 20 minutes or so that we could open our hearts. May your Holy Spirit be present. May we find places, God, in this story uh, to engage and step into. Um, Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. There are a few stories that capture... Um, kind of the spirit of repentance and uh, return like the story of Jonah. We've been a series here leading up for 40 days toward Christmas of uh, finding our way through the book of Jonah. Oh, it's not Christmas, it's Easter, by the way. Okay. <laughs> we'll do it Easter this time, okay? And um, what we're finding is, is like uh, the story's about a fish and a guy who disobeyed God, and, uh, and, and it's kind of that, that's kind of it. But we're finding there's a whole lot more in it for us than that. And we're looking at how that we can engage in the places in the story, engage with the characters, find our place in, that sto- in the story as we walk toward Easter together, recognizing that over a year's time, we can pick up things along the way that aren't the best for us. And it's sometimes there's, a, there's this kind of a, a specific time as we go toward Easter to stop and think about, is my life the best description of the love of Jesus that I can be? Is my life the best expression of the compassion and mercy of Christ? 
that I can bring to the table. And so that's kind of, uh, kind of where we begin. We left off last week. Pastor Eric left, uh, kind of taught last week. And we ended up chapter 2. And if you're looking at a red Bible there at your chairs or where, where you're sitting, if you want one, it's page 844. If you have a Bible, we're going to find our way uh, through chapter 3. There's an outline in your bulletin. I would encourage you to take notes. Here's what my notes look like from the last two weeks. I love to take notes to know that I can go back and look at some things, refresh my memory, uh, because there's just something about hearing it. There's something about writing it uh, that helps me to learn better. Maybe that's not you. Well, we ended with, uh, this was chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord ordered a fish to vomit Jonah out on the beach. And it did, by the way. Today we pick up Jonah at the beach, trying to get rid of the smelly fish bile and seaweeds tangled around himself. And so picture this with me. This is not in the script, but picture it with me a little bit. This is a shoreline beach where there are families like yours, and they're having like a picnic, and we're doing sandcastles, and we're just having our thing. And all of a sudden, out of the water, Oh, what's that about? Where did he come from? And what is he doing here? Isn't that kind of a crazy thing to think about? And Jonah realizes, wow, sure good to see daylight. And he's pulling stuff off of his face and stinks. And is pulling seaweed out of his, maybe his teeth and his ears. And no longer gets kind of put back together. Then, ping, verse 1 of chapter 3, the voice of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Chapter 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And it says, go to Nineveh. And so, chapter 3, verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hmm. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim uh, the message. Jonah is being recalled. He had been called earlier, and we know what happened. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. The wickedness of the city has come up to me, and tell them I'm going to destroy the city. Right. And he goes the opposite way. I am not going. He didn't say those words. He just acted it out. Yeah, he didn't go. Um, So... Jonah finds himself again under the same charge. He attempts to, uh, his attempt to run didn't work so well for him. And so go to Nineveh, claim this message, I will give you. And so looking at a map, <clears throat> the first go around, he's like, Jonah said, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. He says, no, I'm going to get on a boat and go to Tarshish. Because God's jurisdiction ends at a thousand miles out. Yeah. I'm pre- John was pretty sure about that. Well, he never even got that far. So now he's back at square one again on the shoreline. We don't know exactly where it's at, but back on. But the same call. Go to Nineveh, Jonah. Just go, and here's, your, here's what you're... Tell the people. Um, go there and proclaim the message I will give to you. Can you hear Jonah? It's like, okay already. Very reluctant. Why is he so reluctant? 
the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian people, were the most brilliant and brutal people on the, in the known world of the day. Now, we don't pick that up in the story of Jonah. But if we go to uh, minor prophets in, Micah, Nahum, Nahum says, as he called out the Syrian people, here's what he says about the Assyrian people. You're guilty of the plots against God, exploiting the helpless, idolatry, cruelty, prostitution, and witchcraft for starters. So these, the, the Assyrian people were known to be savage. And as the city of Nineveh has been uncovered and the ruins of the city, they were so savage that they carved images on the wall that you can see today. That's what they did to some of the Israelites. They cut the tops of trees off and they hung people in the public view. That's how savage they were. So before we give Jonah such a bad rap, this is how his people were treated. So he had just a little bit of disdain, didn't he? He'd say, well, yeah, I would too. Hmm. So have there ever been a time for you personally where it's like you didn't feel like you had any way of getting out of somebody kind of overpowering you? Third grade, Brown County, Indiana, where I grew up, uh, I carried my lunch in that day, in those days. How many third graders are here? Okay, they've all graduated. Um, <clears throat> and um, so at lunchtime, it's, it's a warm day, we're outside on the playground. Well, there was another guy in our class named Dewey, and he was like 6'1". In third grade, at least in my little mind today, as a third grader, kind of remembers that way. This is actually what happened. He was come from a family that didn't have much. <clears throat> and he had repeated the third grade and maybe second. I caught up with him in third grade. I don't know if he was driving then or not. I don't know that part. But he would, at, on this particular day, took me down. I'm on my back on the playground. He's sitting across me eating my lunch. So as a third grader, what do you think was going through my mind? If I could do something here, don't you think I would? I had deep disdain for this guy. I passed him. I don't even know if he finished high school. I've wondered what's happened to him. But how many of us, if we would just back up a little bit and run through, the, scroll through the things in your mind and experiences, how many of you would say and could be honest and say, there are some people in my life that I just don't like very well. Could we be honest this morning? At least one person? Two of us. Awesome. Three, four, five. Okay, thank you. I'll talk to the rest of you later. Um, it's okay. But we all have people in our lives that are hard. And we've maybe got treated, mistreated by nothing that we have done. So it's nothing that we could have changed. Or maybe it is something that we could have waded into and changed. <clears throat> um, and so how do we manage ourselves in these kind of times? And we, and we know that Jonah went, but he went with reluctance. 
And God says in, then in verses, the end of verse 3 and 4, if you're following along, uh, Nineveh was a large city, took three days to go there. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. And then it says he proclaimed these words, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it's five words in the Hebrew, eight words in the English. He didn't say, who's going to overthrow, where, his, where, where, this, where this edict kind of came from or proclamation came from. He just makes a statement. I think he just went a day's journey. If the, city's, um, if the city was as large as in six, a three days journey, if you could walk 20 miles a day times three, might have been 60 miles across. And maybe he went just like a third in because he wanted to, he's doing bare minimums for God, by the way. I'm very reluctant here. I still don't like these people, but I have to go because the fish thing wasn't all that great. So he goes in a third of the way and doesn't even go to the center of the city and probably offhandedly says like, yeah, 40 days, you guys are toast. I'm going outside the city and watch. Yeah. It's kind of like maybe how we have in disdain, maybe in a small way, when we were bickering with, with maybe siblings. I had five brothers. And so when some of us weren't getting along very good, and our parents said, would you say you're sorry? How do you think that sounded? Sorry? Did you really mean it? Come over here and really mean it. Yeah. We just didn't, we didn't do very well. Well, <clears throat> after Jonah's recommissioning uh, to Nineveh, the great city, Sin City, awesome size, um, going there with bare minimums. He gives eight words, 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. A pretty brief announcement. The citizens um, of Nineveh found themselves in the same place that the sailors found themselves in chapter 1 faced a violent storm of an unknown origin, the sailors did. Now the Ninevite people were facing an unknown disaster from an unknown source or origin because they didn't have any more uh, information. What we do know is that God instructed Noah to, give, to, go, to go talk to them about what was coming proclaimed uh, to it the message I will give. It's fair to say that Jonah's prophetic activity, I think, represented bare minimums. Yeah, minimal effort by a reluctant prophet. Begs a question for you and I. Have you ever offered less than an an honest, God-loving response to someone? Less than a God-loving response? Yeah. Well, we go to the next section of Scripture in your outline if you're following along. It's verses 5 to 9. With such a small statement, 40 days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown, I'm out. But the people of Nineveh, let's read. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, threw off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in the dust. That's what every king does. This is a proclamation uh, issued in Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let... 
people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Verse 8 and 9, really then call it up. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The citizens of Nineveh have an incredible response to a minimal input. Would we agree? This is an incredible response. They listened and they responded wholeheartedly, calling a citywide fight fast, dressing in burlap. Now, putting burlap on is really scratchy, and so you'd take off your normal clothes, put on burlap, and set in ashes or dust. As a, That was a confession in that culture. We don't have anything that replicates that in our culture today. What do we go that represents in a public way our repentance? It's like, oh, Howard, we don't do that in our culture. I wonder if we need to, if it'd be to have more conversations around that. And notice that the prophet Jonah doesn't call for the fast. No, he doesn't call for any action to return people for God's people to turn for return to God. He does it forty days, and you're toast. Walks out. But the response of people displayed a positive, uh, a positive heart toward what they knew about themselves. His five word announcement. Delivered one-third of the way in the city, everyone responded. Rich and poor, famous, obscure, leaders and followers, everyone in Nineveh. As for Jonah, he had disappeared outside the city. We'll pick him up next week. The response of the king, then, is important for us. So when the message reached the king, what did he do? He got off of his throne took off his royal robes, put on the burlap, and sat in the dust with the common people. Then he issued a proclamation. No one, not a drop of water, no one could eat any food, including you know, men, women, and animals. Every must, must turn around and the word, therefore, turning from where, we, from where we were going in the Hebrew is the word shuv, S-U-V. Shuv. Can you say that? Shuv. It means repentance, and repentance means I'm going my way. And all of a sudden I realize that going my way is not going God's way, and I turn around. And this is what was happening for the, Nineveh, the Nineveh people. <clears throat> Who knows? God might turn around and change his mind, the king said. This... This is an incredible response. The prophet Jeremiah would have wished to have that kind of response from the words that he took uh, to the king of Judah. Jeremiah called for repentance or they were going to face disaster. And the people called for a fast, a sign of repentance, just like we have here. But the king, Jehoiakim, uh, burned Jeremiah's announcement and put he and his assistant, arrested he and his assistant. And so... Jeremiah had given a big public declaration from God, calling people out and calling him back. And it didn't go so good for him. He would have loved to have the response here. But the king of Nineveh uh, did some specific things. And, and, it's, and it's interesting for me that the king of Nineveh, first of all, is ultimate authority. 
ultimate authority of the day. If there's a conflict, the king's word is law. Whatever he says is law. No one can come into the king's chambers without being invited. Good or bad, whatever the king says is law. This king, to come down off of his throne, to step down, and to put on burlap, and come down and sit with the common people of the day, was incredible. It's extravagant demonstration of of compassion or confession and repentance to God. Now there's humor in it, and I love this part too. It's like, and also for your herds and flocks. How many of you are cattle people, have some cattle? Okay, so you're a part of this, let's just play it out. And the herds and flocks are supposed to dress in sackcloth, burlap. So Jonas goes down to the dry goods store and he said, I'd like to have burlap for 20 cows. Yeah. Someone else goes and says, I'd like to have burlap for 30 sheep. Oh, no, no, you stop eating grass. You can't eat grass, Bessie. Stop that. Can't eat or drink. Remember? Mmm. There's humor in all of this. But the biggest thing for you and I to remember here is that the powerful person of the king joined in the powerlessness of the people. And my friends, there is no place. Just remember this thought. The king of Nineveh gave up his throne and ultimate power and his royal garb to set with the common people. Now in the New Testament, no passage describes what happened in heaven one time when God and Jesus were having conversation, both in the throne room of heaven. Follow along as I read on the screen from about a relentless God from Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Listen to how this mirrors what we just talked about uh, from, the, from, the, from the king in Nineveh. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man of a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross but God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father God so loved the world. We're headed toward Easter to celebrate that and how that was expressed. But the God of heaven and Jesus were together in the throne room and God so loved the world. And he said, Jesus, would you come down? Would you go down? And would you... 
take off your royal robes, and would you go down and set with the people here on earth? Would you go and live among them? And would you show them by demonstration how to live and how to love? How to show my compassion and mercy? How to receive it and how to display it? Jesus came and offered that to all humanity. For every person on the planet, it's an equal opening, an invitation. Will you and I receive God's compassion and mercy through Jesus? That, my friends, is an incredible mirroring of what happened in the story in Jonah. How do we play this out for you and I right here, right now? Yeah, how does it work for us? What if we are a people? What if we, it would be said about us, that group of people that's called Journey, they're not afraid to live it out. They're not afraid when there's dissonance in relationships. They're not afraid to go call it up. And if I've got a difference or a conflict with somebody like Ray, I'm going to go to Ray and I'm going to say, Ray, you know what? I've gone to a different worship service than you because I don't like you. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not really true at all. But it happens, okay? And I am tired of carrying this. And so, Ray, I want to go back and restart our relationship because I'm aware that if I'm going to display the love and the life of Jesus, I have to put on display the compassion and mercy of Jesus. And so I want to restart. What if we were a people who did that? And the next question, are there places where you would do that? What might happen? What might happen in a community where people say, yeah, Journey's got it going. No, Journey's going to go deep. And we're going to call relationships out. And we're going to call each other on it out of a deep love of how we experienced this God of heaven who came off of his throne in Jesus and come down to us and offers us this incredible compassion and mercy. I pray for all of us as we leave here today, if there are places in your life in your relationships with family, school, at work, community, other church places. Be the change. Be the change. If you need help with that, come and let us us talk about it. God, we hold our hands out to you this, this morning and say, We're sorry sometimes for being on our own personal thrones and holding things against another person and feeling like we're superior and we're the king. This morning, God, we take off our royal garb of our own little personal fiefdoms and we repent of where we have not acted in the way that Jesus 
calls us and the way you call us to act. We're sorry. We want to be a people who's, who are known to not be afraid to have hard conversations because of your great love, your great compassion, and your great mercy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together.